Open your Bibles with me to John chapter 8. John chapter 8. It's on page 950 if you have one of our Bibles from the bookshelf or the welcome table back there. We're going to start in verse 12 and then go to verse 30 today. Now, you might be thinking, hold on a second. Last week, Luke preached all the way to the end of chapter 7 and left out a verse, verse 53, and then we're starting in 12, so that means that there's 11 verses in chapter 8 that we're missing. Why? Why aren't we going there? It's a beloved story that's quoted often, right? Maybe you're familiar with this. It's a woman caught in adultery. She's condemned by the, by the religious leaders. They, they bring her out before uh, Jesus, in the, and they want to stone her to death because that's what the law says you do with adulter, uh, uh, adulterous people. But then Jesus quotes or says the famous line, right? If anyone is without sin, let him be the first one to throw the stone. And one by one, they all drop their stones and they walk away. He bends down, he writes something in the sand, and he says, stands up, and he sees they're all gone, and she says, or he says, uh, where'd they go? And she said, they've all left. No one's condemned, right? And he says, neither do I condemn you. Go and leave your life of sin. It's a beautiful story. It's one that, 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 uh, that, that pictures the, the compassion and grace and forgiveness that God grants to us through Jesus Christ. And most likely, it's a real event that, that took place at some point in Jesus' life and ministry. But if you'll notice in your Bible, those verses are, are probably bracketed, um, or they're, they're just included as a footnote at the end of chapter 7, because they're not found in the earliest manuscripts, the earliest Greek copies of John's gospel, uh, and, and, and which means that, that there, there's a high likelihood that John himself actually didn't write that part, okay? Um, and again, nothing in this story contradicts anything in Scripture. It doesn't suddenly make Jesus uh, something that he's not. It doesn't, it doesn't bring in any new uh, theological idea. It's right in line with the nature of who Jesus is and the work that he came to do, but its location right here in between chapters 7 and 8, it actually interrupts the larger story of Jesus in Jerusalem at the Festival of Shelters, which started at the beginning of chapter 7 and carries through to the end of chapter 9. And so because John most likely did not write this part, and because it breaks up the flow of what he did write, we're going to continue on with the scene at the Festival of the Shelters, and that's why we're starting in verse uh, 12 of chapter 8 today. So in today's passage, we're going to see this contrast between light and darkness, and we're going to be confronted with, with a, a reality that we all fall into one of these two categories, either light or darkness, right? And which category we fall into hinges on whether or not we believe in Jesus Christ and who he has claimed to be. And so... This is the word of the Lord, and I want to pray that God would open our minds to it. So let's do that. Father, every good and perfect gift comes from you, the Father of heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. The wellspring of life is with you. By means of your light, we see light. You are the God who said, let light shine out of the darkness, and we pray that you would now shine in our hearts and give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of you in the face of Jesus Christ, your son. And we ask this in his name. Amen. Did you know that Manunk lays claim to having the first incandescent streetlights in the United States? 
Some of you knew that, huh? It's pretty cool, right? According to, uh, to, to old newspaper reports, back in 1882, the, the lights were strung uh, along Oak Street from the, uh, from the coal mine on the north end of town, down Oak Street to where it hits 7th, and then across 7th over here to Chestnut. So just like a block north of where we are right now. First incandescent street lights in the country. That's the claim, right? Um, can you imagine the buzz that that created? among the people in the town, pun intended. Anybody catch that one? I mean, think about all the excitement that that would have generated. I promise you I didn't spend more time on the puns than I did the actual passage. I just figured we'd start off with a little bit of light humor, okay? All right, I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. Okay, yes, thank you, thank you. I'll take clapping over puns um, than clapping over announcements any day. Think about this, though, for real, okay? Imagine you're, you're, you're a people that are used to darkness, right, and, and maybe having the light of, uh, like, like, candles or things like that. Suddenly, there's this new form of light. There's this brightness that shines in the darkness of the town, can you imagine the, 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 truly the buzz that that would create, the, 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 the marvel that people would come out and stand under those lights and see? It's easy for us to overlook how big of a deal that that would have been because we tend to take light for granted. Think about this for a second. I'm standing under LED lights that can be grouped together, which they are. There's banks of them all over in this room. And they can be controlled. Uh, they group, they're grouped together by an app on the phone, and then they're controlled by the light switches over there or over here, but also by uh, a remote control switch that's battery operated. You can turn them on and off from anywhere in the room. You can dim them. In fact, these lights uh, are, are so uh, have such great technology that... Um, they have sensors in them that if you don't move for long enough, they will actually shut off because they don't sense movement anymore. So if you're going to fall asleep this morning during the sermon, you need to make sure that you're at least still nodding your head, okay? Or people will know. They'll know. Listen, nobody walked in here this morning and oohed and odd at these lights, Nobody walked in here this morning and went, man, this is glorious, right? Nobody did what the people, the early citizens of Manunk would have done when those lights first got hung along Oak and 7th Streets coming out of that mine. We've grown so accustomed to living with light that we don't even think about how important it truly is until until the power goes out and we realize that we don't have it when we want it, right? In our text this morning, we're going to be reminded of the importance of light and not just any light, the true light that illuminates more than just coal mines and city streets. This light, this light illuminates the human soul and the entire world. So here's our main point for this morning. If you don't want to walk in darkness, then you must follow the true light. If you don't want to walk in darkness, then you must follow 
the true light. Last week, Luke talked about the, the water ceremony that took place during the Festival of Shelters and how Jesus used that, that pivotal moment, uh, this attention-grabbing moment, right as the priest is holding the pitcher up as high as it can go and is about ready to pour out the water. Jesus stood up in a loud voice and cried out, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink, right? And talked about himself as the ultimate source of living water and the conduit through which God the Father would pour out his Holy Spirit on all who believe in him, God the Son. In our passage this morning, we're going to see Jesus capitalize on yet another important ceremony that took place during the festival. I want you to imagine with me uh, uh, this, this description here, okay? On the first night of the festival, it's an eight-day festival, on the first night of the festival, four giant lampstands were placed in the woman's courtyard, the women's courtyard at the temple. The temple was uh, the, the building itself, and then the whole complex had a series of courtyards. This was in the women's courtyard. Each one of those pillars, of those, those lampstands was 75 feet tall, four of them grouped together, 75 feet tall, and each one branched out into four uh, bowls that it held full of gallons and gallons of oil, and they would use ladders to climb up, and they would light these on fire, and it would glow like no light you've ever seen. In fact, it was so bright that it would light up the entire city of Jerusalem. Are you picturing this? Have you ever been to one of those giant bonfires made out of a tower of pallets? I would imagine it's something like that, although far more glorious. Think about where this is at. It's right by the temple. The temple is, is laden with gold. What does gold do when light hits it? It shines, it shimmers, dances, right? The, the temple itself would have lit up to the point to where you would, if you weren't looking directly at the, the pillars of fire, you would think that the temple itself was the thing that was giving off the light. People celebrated all night long, every night of the week. They would dance and they would sing and they would wave torches of their own. The giant lampstands were a reminder of God's glory as he led the Israelites by a pillar of cloud during the day and a pillar of Fire, right? Fire is light to them. And by a pillar of fire at night after he brought them out of Egypt. And so as they celebrated, the people then would place their torches on the outer walls or along the temple complex as a symbol that the Messiah would be a light to the Gentiles. Celebration would continue every night of the festival and it was this sight and this experience like no other and something every Jew looked forward to each year. It was such a high point in the Jewish calendar that they wrote, if you haven't seen the festival of shelters, then you haven't seen true joy in this life. You don't want to miss it. You don't want to miss it. And it's in this context, then, that Jesus made his second I am statement in John's gospel. Look at what he says in verse 12. Jesus spoke to them again. I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. Now, we need to acknowledge on the, the front end right here the reality that it's just as easy for us to take these words of Jesus for granted as it is for us to take the lights over our head for granted this morning. 
This is one of those verses in John's gospel that we are in danger of normalizing because we've heard it so much, because we've seen it written on, on, on different things, because we're familiar with it. Like John 3.16. But this statement is anything but normal. It is phenomenal. It's incredible. It shines with more glory than 10,000 lampstands. I don't care how many you stack together and light on fire. This is far more glorious. Think with me for a moment about the importance of light throughout Scripture. What are the first recorded words of God in the Bible? Let there be what? Light. Let there be light. And there was light, and God separated the light from the darkness. After then, Adam and Eve sinned and were banished from the Garden of Eden, brought the darkness of sin and death into the world. God stationed a cherubim at the entrance with what? A flaming sword, fire, light to guard it. And God confirmed his covenant with Abraham at night with a smoking pot and a flaming torch. You remember that when we went through Genesis? He revealed himself to Moses in a what? A burning bush. He led the people of Israel in the wilderness by the pillar of cloud during the day and a pillar of fire to give them light at night. In the Psalms, we read one this morning, but King David says this in Psalm 27, 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom should I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Whom should I dread? Psalm 119, the psalmist wrote this. You're familiar with this. Uh, many of you are familiar with this. Psalm 119, 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light for my path. The prophet Isaiah spoke of the coming servant of the Lord who would be a light to the nations so that God's salvation would reach to the ends of the earth. After Isaiah prophesied about the coming exile for God's people, he also prophesied about the return of the Lord's glory in Zion. Zion is Jerusalem. Listen to his words in Isaiah 60, verse 1 and 2. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord shines over you. He's talking to the people of God here. For look, darkness will cover the earth, and total darkness the peoples, but the Lord will shine over you, and his glory will appear over you. It's a picture of the new creation. Light breaking through the darkness and giving life. It's a picture of the new creation. And here's how that, that part in Isaiah ends at the end of chapter 60, verses 19 and 20. He says, The sun will no longer be your light by day, and the brightness of the moon will not shine on you. Think about how often we take those two things for granted. Here's what he says. The Lord will be your everlasting light and your God will be your splendor. Your sun will no longer set and your moon will not fade for the Lord will be your everlasting light and the days of your sorrow will be over. When Jesus said, I am the light of the world, he was not only claiming to be the servant of the Lord and the Messiah who was to be the light of salvation for the nations. He was claiming to be the God of Israel who was bringing his glory back to Zion. And anyone who wants to live in the glory of salvation 
from slavery to sin must follow Jesus like the people of Israel followed the pillar of fire when God gloriously saved them from slavery to Egypt. Because of sin, darkness has covered the earth and total darkness, the people's. This is what Isaiah is talking about. It's a spiritual darkness. It's a death that permeates throughout all of humanity. But Jesus makes this promise. Anyone who follows him will never walk in darkness. Why? Because he is the Lord who will be their everlasting light. That light never goes out. Never goes out. Those who have Christ have the light of life because as John put it at the beginning of his gospel, in him, being Jesus, was life. And that life was what? The light of men. That light shines in the darkness and yet the darkness did not overcome it. Do you have this light or are you still walking in darkness? John helps us see what it looks like to walk in darkness by giving us the Pharisees' response to Jesus' incredible claim here. Let's look at verse 13. We'll go through 18. So the Pharisees said to him, you're testifying about yourself. Your testimony is not valid. Even if I testify about myself, Jesus replied, my testimony is true because I know where I came from and where I'm going. But you don't know where I come from or where I'm going. You judge by human standards, but I judge no one. And if I do judge, my judgment is true because it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. Even in your law, it's written that the testimony of two witnesses is true. I am the one who testifies about myself, and the Father who sent me testifies about me. Instead of believing what Jesus said about himself, the Pharisees immediately sought to discredit him by pointing to the law's requirement of at least two witnesses for a testimony to, to be valid. They're coming back to this argument that we saw that, that began in, in chapter 5. Jesus talks, he said, like, the Father testi testifies about me, my works testify about me, the Word testifies about me, Moses testifies about me, right? He's like, pick a witness. You got plenty. Jesus didn't need a second witness, though, because he only ever speaks the truth. Do you know that? Not a single lie comes out of his mouth. The Bible tells us in Titus 1, verse 2, God, who cannot lie, he doesn't lie. There is no darkness in him. God is light, right? Jesus doesn't lie because he only ever speaks the truth, and he only ever speaks the truth because he came from heaven, and he was returning to heaven. But the Pharisees didn't know that because, what, they were walking in the darkness. This is, there's a, an, an important principle then here for us to, to understand. Truth is always true. Truth is always true. Just because someone challenges the truth, that does not make it any less true. We live in a culture that claims that everybody can and should have their own self-created truth and that nobody can challenge that truth without being a bigot. But we need to recognize the difference between what's happening in our culture and what's happening right here. The Pharisees were claiming that truth was untrue, 
and our culture claims that untruth is true. And that leads us to another important principle. Truth is not true because of its claim. Truth is true because of its source. The claim is only true when the source is true. Jesus is the source. He is light. He is life. Our culture is walking in darkness and claiming to have light. They're darkened in their understanding, as Paul puts it. And in that darkened understanding, people are claiming, listen, I know where I have come from, and I know where I'm going, and you can't tell me otherwise, because you don't know. But a person cannot suddenly make themselves the source of something that they've been given, right? We've been given life. It's been given to us, so we cannot claim to be the author of it. We've been made, created in the image of God, which means that we've been given our identity, so we cannot claim whatever identity we choose. When someone claims themselves to be the final authority over their life and identity, that person is walking in darkness and they need the light. Our culture is not claiming truth. Our culture is challenging truth. We need to be fixed on Jesus and follow the one who is the light of the world. Remember what Jesus told Nicodemus in John chapter 3, verses 19 through 21? This is the judgment. Light has come into the world. But people love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light. You know what that means? They hate Jesus. And they avoid it so that his deeds, that person who hates the light, so that his deeds may not, may not be exposed. They avoid the light because they know that it's going to show something that they don't want people to see. But anyone who lives by the truth comes to the light so that his works may be shown to be accomplished by God. Anyone who lives by the truth comes to the light. Translation, anyone who lives by the truth comes to Jesus Christ, follows him so that his works, that person's works may be shown to be accomplished by God. Truth and light go hand in hand. You can't have one without the other. It's impossible. Jesus just claimed to be the light of the world. Either he was lying, which puts him in darkness, or he was telling the truth, which puts the world in darkness. It's one or the other. His claim makes it impossible for someone to have light and truth without him. Now, people, people speak truth even though they're still in darkness. That's a common grace that God gives to all of us. But that truth is reflective of who God is, not of who that person is. Jesus' claim implies that anyone who does not follow him is walking in darkness and does not have the light of life. I'll ask again, is that you this morning? Listen, don't be desensitized to Jesus like we are these lights in the room. See your need for the true light. Don't miss 
Jesus made a claim that, that, that really puts us uh, in, that, in that category of darkness and condemnation. But don't miss the implied invitation that he's giving. Anyone who follows me, there's the invitation, come follow me. And anyone who does will never walk in darkness, but what? Have the light of life. You don't have to walk in darkness. You don't have to stay in that place. You come to Jesus. The light that you need is available to you. Follow Jesus and trust yourself to him, and you will never walk in darkness. Again, that's the promise. Because Jesus is light and truth, the claims that he makes about himself are true. But it also means that the claims that he makes about others are true. We've said this before. Jesus is never wrong in his assessment of the human heart. Never wrong. He doesn't lie. He doesn't get things incorrect. He's light and truth and life. In verse 14, he told the Pharisees that they were walking in darkness. He said, you don't know. You don't have the knowledge. You're darkened in your understanding. You don't know where I come from or where I'm going. Listen, light reveals. It does not conceal, right? It illuminates. It, it gives us understanding. When we realize something, what do we say? A light bulb came on, right? Right? There was no light bulb here for the Pharisees. They were left in the dark about Jesus' true identity. They judged by human standards. They made themselves the source. Back in, in chapter 7, Jesus told them, stop judging according to outward appearances. Rather, judge according to righteous judgment. Righteousness must be our source. And we are unrighteous unless we get Christ's righteousness which means Jesus needs to be our source when we make judgments. Here in verse 15 and 16, Jesus made it clear that he doesn't judge the way they do. He says, I don't judge, but that doesn't mean that he doesn't judge. It means he doesn't judge as they judge. John's very clear in other places we've seen. Jesus makes judgments and he does it with the Father because he's righteous. Jesus' standard of judgment isn't human, it's heavenly. Pharisees were judging according to perception, but Jesus was judging according to reality, what actually is true. And even though he didn't need a second witness to prove the reliability of his claim, listen, this is grace right here. I don't have to prove myself to you, but here, you want two witnesses? I'll give them to you. I'm one and my father's two. There, I fulfilled the law, right? But remember, they didn't know where he came from. So when he said, my father is the second witness, they, they didn't realize that he was talking about his heavenly father, which prompts their response in verse 19. Then they asked him, where is your father? You know neither me nor my father, Jesus answered. If you knew me, you would also know my father. He spoke these words by the treasury while teaching in the temple, but no one seized him because his hour had not yet 
come. When Jesus told them that his father was the second witness, they wanted to hear what his father had to say. Well, all right, you gave your testimony. Now let's, let's hear him. Where's he at? Where's he at? But they thought they could find his father because they thought they, he was talking about his earthly father. So they wanted to know where he was. But Jesus essentially said, listen, you're not going to find my father. Why? Because you don't know him. And you can't know him unless you know me. They were standing in the, in the court of women right there in the temple treasury when he said these things. This is the same place that these giant lampstands were set up for the festival. And once again, John points to God's sovereignty and timing in verse 20 by pointing out that no one sees Jesus even though they were furious over his claim. Why? Because his hour had not yet come. Hostility was brewing, but the Father's plan was still unfolding, and it wasn't time for Jesus to die yet. It wasn't time. And similar to the way things played out in chapter 5, Jesus went from being the one who, who was being judged to the one who was pronouncing judgments. Look at verse 21. And then he said to them again, I'm going away, and you'll look for me, and you will die in your sin. Where I'm going, you cannot come. So the Jews said again, he won't kill himself, will he? Since he says, where I'm going, you cannot come. You are from below, he told them. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. Therefore, I told you that you will die in your sins. For if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Jesus and the Pharisees weren't the only ones standing there by the temple treasury. Now his, his words are to the larger crowd of Jews that have come for the festival. These are the same people that he was talking to in chapter 7. He goes back and forth. He's having conversations with everybody and then with the Pharisees and then with everybody again. And they still didn't understand what he was telling him. Why? Because they were walking in darkness, Right? When he said, I'm going away, he was talking about his upcoming death and resurrection after which he would return to the Father, capital F, the Heavenly Father. And when he said, you will look for me, he didn't mean that they'd try to find him after he died and rose from the grave. He meant that they would try to look for the Messiah. But they wouldn't find the Messiah because they were looking at him and they denied that one. You're going to chase after the Messiah and you'll run yourself ragged because you're missing him as he's standing right here in front of you. This is very similar to the conversation that he had with them back in chapter 7. They didn't understand what he meant there and they didn't understand what he meant here. I'm going away and you can't come, right? There they thought he was going to go to the Gentiles. Here they thought he was going to kill himself. In both cases, they thought that Jesus was trying to get away from them by doing something that they considered detestable where he knew that they wouldn't follow into. In both conversations, Jesus said, where I am going, you cannot come. But here he took it one step further. This is important. We need to hear this. You can't come. Three times he says this. You will die in your sin. You will die in your sin. Listen, light leads to life, right? Darkness leads to death. They cannot come where he's going because he was going to the Father. And to reject the Son is to reject the Father. Back in chapter 5, verse 23, Jesus told them, anyone who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. It's a package deal. 
Jesus was from above. He came from the Father. These people were of this world and not and the world walks in darkness. In one of his New Testament letters, we read it during our prayer time, First John. John wrote that the whole world is under the sway of the evil one. Light is from above. And that light has come into the world below. But the people loved what? They loved darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. Jesus said that the world hates me because I testify that its works are evil. They hate the light. He's the light. Sin of unbelief is a root of darkness that spreads through the entire person, inside and out, and it manifests itself in many ways. That's why Jesus said, you will die in your sin the first time. That's singular. Sin referring to unbelief in verse 21. And then why he said, if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins, plural, referring to all that unbelief produces in both the internal and external life of a person. The point is clear here. Unbelief means walking in darkness and dying in your sins. Belief means having the light of life and not dying in your sins. You'll never walk in darkness, right? Unbelief leads to condemnation and eternal death. Belief leads to freedom and eternal life. What is it then that they and we must believe? Jesus said it in verse 24. Unless you believe that I am he. But that only brought more confusion to the people who were already walking in darkness. Look at these last verses, 25 through 30. Who are you? They questioned. Exactly what I've been telling you from the very beginning, Jesus told them. I have many things to say and to judge about you, but the one who sent me is true. See that? He's the source. He's real. He's true. And what I have heard from him, these things I tell the world. They did not know that he was speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said to them, when you lift the Son of Man up, then you will know that I am he. And that I do nothing on my own, but just as the Father taught me, I say these things. The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, because I always do what pleases him. In other words, the Father is here testifying right now with me. Verse 30, as he was saying these things, many believed in him. Notice there wasn't a single miracle that was done in this whole setting. Jesus' testimony about himself never changes. Why? Because truth never changes. It's constant. It's consistent. From the beginning, he said, I've been telling you who I am, who he, who he was, who, where he came from, but they didn't understand because they were also consistent in their darkness. They were walking in darkness. They didn't know who Jesus was. They didn't know where he came from. They didn't know that he was speaking to them about God the Father. They didn't know. They didn't know. They didn't know. They're walking in darkness. But in verse 28, Jesus told them that soon they would know. When you lift up the Son of Man... Then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing on my own. See, in the darkness of their sin, they would soon be responsible for nailing Jesus 
to the cross and having him executed. And he would be lifted up to hang there for all to see while he hung on the cross, physical darkness would cover the land for three hours. Matthew's account tells us this. But the light of life shines in the darkness and the darkness cannot overcome it because the cross was where the light of the world willingly gave his life as a ransom for all those who were walking in the darkness of sin and death. Jesus died in our sins so that we don't have to. And his body was laid in a tomb and it was sealed in total darkness when a stone was rolled over the entrance. But as light dawned on the first day of the week, Sunday, the Lord's day, it revealed that the stone had been rolled away and the true sun, S-O-N, had risen. Jesus conquered death so that all who believe in him will never walk in darkness but will have the light of eternal life. We cannot truly know who Christ is without the cross and without his resurrection. This is what he meant when he said, then you will know in verse 28. It wasn't that all of these Jews suddenly would come to believe in him after they saw him being crucified, but that they would never truly be able to comprehend who he is apart from his crucifixion and his resurrection. Then you will know. And neither can we. Neither can we truly comprehend his identity apart from his crucifixion and resurrection. Do you know the crucified and risen Christ, or are you following a Jesus of your own creation? Do you know and believe that apart from him, you will die in your sin? Do you know and believe that he died so that you can be completely forgiven and reconciled to the Father? Do you know and believe that he conquered death and that he's seated right now as I speak at the right hand of the throne of God and that he's coming back soon to judge the living and the dead? Don't walk in darkness any longer. Follow the light of the world and live. Turn from your sin and trust in this crucified and risen Jesus Christ. Verse 30 says that as Jesus was saying these things, many believed in him. John said that a few times in his gospel and so far not with a whole lot of sticking power, right? Chapter 2, at the end of that, we're told Jesus didn't believe their belief. We'll find out next week whether or not their belief was genuine. But here's one thing that's clear from what we've seen today. Jesus' claim to be the light of the world is genuine. It's genuine. Everything Jesus says and does is true because he always does it according to the Father's will and the Father is always with him. God is light and there's absolutely no darkness at all in him. And as believers who are following the light of the world, we can be sure of Christ's promise that he will always be with us as we obey the great commission to go and spread his light to the neighborhoods and the nations and to make disciples, to make followers of Jesus. Here's something for us to marvel at, like those early citizens of Manonk did under those incandescent streetlights. The light of the world lives so far fully and completely in us 
and so permanently in us that we are now the light that shines in the world of darkness. Isn't that incredible? Jesus himself says it in Matthew 5, 14 through 16. He said, he said you are the light of the world. Imagine that. Think about the claim he just made about himself. Remember, he doesn't lie. What he just said is true. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand. And it gives light for all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory not to you, but to the Father in heaven. And he actually says to your Father in heaven. That's incredible too. Because we as people who follow the light are now children of God. And he's our Father. How do we let our light shine? By remembering that our light is Christ himself and not anything in us, by living in a way that reveals our salvation in him, by doing the good works that he's prepared for us to do, good works that we are not the source of. Don't try it. Don't work your way to that light. You get the light first. Good works that Jesus is the source of, works that shine, that, that, that God is the one that has done the work in us. We let our light shine by denying ourselves and taking up our cross and following him. This is the command that Jesus gives us. Philippians 2, verses 14 through 16, the apostle Paul says, do everything without grumbling and arguing, arguing, so that you may be blameless and pure, children of God who are faultless in a crooked and perverted generation, a dark generation, among whom you shine like stars in the world by holding firm to the word of life. You know that grumbling and arguing is light-dimming behavior that characterizes a world of darkness and not a people who have been called out of that darkness into his marvelous light? Oh, that's so convicting for me. Grumbling and complaining is not light-shining behavior. How do we shine like stars in a dark and crooked world? By holding firm, as Paul says, to the word of life that serves as a lamp for our feet and a light for our path. So let's not walk in darkness, but instead let's keep going on the path of faith as it's lit up before us by God's word. And run together with endurance because God's word does in fact light our way. And it does so with the hope of a glorious promise that has yet to be fulfilled at the end of the Bible, the very last book, the same John who wrote this gospel gives us a glimpse of what's to come. A new heaven and a new earth where we will live in the new Jerusalem because God's glory has returned to Zion. It's the new creation fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy. As John describes the vision that he's shown of the city, he says this at the end of chapter 21. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it because the glory of God illuminates it. Lampstands don't hold a candle to Jesus. Just thought of that pun on the spot.
because the glory of God illuminates it and its lamp is the lamb. This is incredible. It gets even better at the end of, or he starts chapter 22 like this, one through five, Revelation. Then he showed me the river of the water of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the lamb down the middle of the city's main street. The tree of life was on each side of the river bearing 12 kinds of fruit, producing its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations, and there will no longer be any curse. The throne of God and the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. Night will be no more. People will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, because the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. Isn't that incredible? No more darkness, no more curse, just water and light. Jews said that if you haven't seen the festival of shelters, then you haven't seen joy in this life. We have something better. If you haven't seen Jesus Christ, then you haven't seen joy in this life. He is the water and the light that the festival points to. And he's the one to whom we point and call people to follow. If you don't want to walk in darkness, then you must follow the true light. Jesus is the light of the world. And anyone, anyone who follows him will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of eternal life in him. May we never grow desensitized to the wonder of that reality. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we are thankful that your word glows with the glory of Jesus Christ and that your spirit who lives in us burns brightly with affection for the Son and causes us to worship. And we pray this morning that you would encourage your people and that you have encouraged your people through your word, and that you would bring sinners to a saving knowledge out of the darkness into the glorious light of Jesus Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen.